College is exhausting. Can I get an amen? College is exhausting. And therefore, we as college students need to figure out ways to keep ourselves energized for us to at least stay sane, right? So for some of you, that may be drinking way too much caffeine for your own good. Let's be honest. Others of you, it's binge-watching Netflix every single Saturday. Right? Right? Others of us, and I think this is for the majority of us, the number one thing that energizes us is sleep. You guys believe that? There's nothing like going to bed on a Friday night knowing you don't have to wake up till 2 o'clock in the afternoon to make up for all the lack of sleep that you had that previous week. Sleep, I truly believe sleep is one of the most spiritual things you can do. I, I truly believe it. There's an, alarm, or there's an app out there called the Sleep Cycle Alarm Clock. Have you, guys heard of, have you guys heard of this app? What it is, it's this application on your phone that you put underneath your sheets of your bed, and it actually tracks like, your sleep cycles and your, uh, like, your sleep quality based on how much you move at night. Because the goal of it is to wake you up at a certain point during your sleep cycles, so that way you can be more energized and you can actually feel better throughout the day. And what I actually have is a screenshot of my sleep quality over the past year. We can put that up. So you can see this. All the way over there on the left, do you guys see that little hump? That was spring break last year. <laughs> and then you can see how it rises up for the summer, and then it goes back down for this past semester. Apparently I was between 70 and 80. That was a lot better than 60 to 70. And it goes back up to winter break. But then I, I have another one over the past three months, okay? Right there in the center, you see how it goes up a little bit? <clears throat> that was Thanksgiving break. And then notice how it spikes straight down. That's finals week. If you guys know, there's no other point during our college semesters when we have very poor sleep quality as finals week. I mean, it's a time where we pull all-nighters, it's a time where we drink even more caffeine than we should, and it becomes socially acceptable to sleep on couches in McCondon and in the art cases and beard, right? And then overheard gets flooded with pictures of everybody doing it. The reality is, we need to get energized. And when we become so exhausted, whether it's finals week or any other point in our life, it's normally because we spend way too much time focusing on one thing that keeps us from getting the energy we need. And before we know it, we crash. And we cease to function properly, whatever that looks like. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at a story in Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. Again, that's Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. If you have a smartphone or an actual Bible, those are still cool to use nowadays. Um, and just for some background info, Paul and his companions are traveling around uh, southern Europe and western Asia doing tons of evangelism and just preaching about the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's doing crazy things. And they work their way over to the city of Troas, where they spend a week there to camp out before they visit some other places, uh, before they head to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And so, once again, we pick up <clears throat> right here, verse 7. It says this, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. So, 
We'll stop right there. The fact that they were meeting during the first of the week meant that was their Sunday. They were gathered there together for church, and they were worshiping together. And when it says that they broke bread, it actually means that they were having fellowship. In the early church, having meals together was a sign that they had a close-knit community. There was an energy there. People wanted to be there. And because Paul is a very ambitious man— He only had a very limited time to be with them. So he felt like he just needed to keep preaching. He needed to make sure that these people were encouraged, that they were nourished, and that they were giving the energy they needed to function and to go on uh, with the mission of the church. So they're staying up till midnight. Paul's just going at it. Everyone's loving it. And in fact, it says that there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. And to me, you can almost kind of imagine if there were a lot of lamps, that meant that there had to be a lot of effort to go forth to light those lamps. And if there was a lot of effort to light those lamps, then there was a desire for people to be here. There was an energy to hear what God was doing. And I kind of look at the community described here in the Church of Troas, and it reminds me a lot of what we have here at Iwu. Like, there's an energy here that you can't find anywhere else, is there? You know, there are people who just seem to be happier all the time. Like, you dread going on breaks because you have to be around people who aren't happy, you know? People are joyful. Your professors are willing to meet up with you and talk about life, not just your assignments. Our Res Life staffs are committed to setting up great spiritual atmospheres for the dorms and to support that community. There is and energy here. In fact, even just uh, last night, I was playing ping pong in South Hall, and there was just a group of students who uh, did a Porsche night worship. But, you know, just stuff like that that makes this place special. But unfortunately, we only have this kind of a community for so long. See, Paul was there because, and he had this urgency to tell these people everything that he wanted to tell them, because it was only a matter of time before he had to go off and they wouldn't have him anymore. Similarly, like this place is focused to be a Christ-centered university so we can get the encouragement and the nourishment and the energy we need. So by the time we leave this place, when we graduate, we could be in a better place than we were before, ready to take on the real world, as scary as that sounds. So just to kind of sum up where we're at, we have the Church of Troas, which is a very close-knit community. There's energy. Paul's probably just going super passionate. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. People want to be here. But then the story takes a dramatic turn for the worse. Verse 9 says this. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was seeking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. This young man, Eutychus, who was probably somewhere around our age, was seated in a windowsill. Which, if you think about a windowsill, like this is kind of my imagination of the room. You have the energy and the action that's happening right here in this portion of the room, but the windowsill is located along the wall furthest from where that action may be taking place. And, and we, don't, we don't really know why he was in the windowsill. Maybe he was just getting tired, or maybe it was just really, really hot by being crammed into a small space and 
was just a lot of people and he needed to get some fresh air? We don't know. But for whatever reason, this guy didn't feel a part of that same energy that was there in that community. And I don't know why he felt this way. Maybe, like, I don't know, was he a bad person? Did he just not have it spiritually? Was he going through a lot uh, in this point of his life, and he just couldn't take Paul's words seriously because he just kept asking, man, Paul, why can't you just speak into my life? Everything you're saying is irrelevant. Maybe he was only there because his parents wanted to bring him there. I don't know. Regardless, he came in with good intentions. But as time kept going on and on, he felt like he just needed to pull back and try to get away from it. And, and he began to sink into this deep sleep, even though that the Holy Spirit was present and Paul was there speaking words. It's like this was, this was the leader of the church. You wanted to be there and hear what he had to say. But he still fell asleep, even though the very thing he needed to keep him energized was right in front of him. Even though, even though this Iwu community is very similar to the Church of Troas with that close-knit community, and there's, there's an energy here who love Christ, there are some of us who have worked their way to their windowsill, to their far side of the room, who don't feel like they are a part of the close-knit energy that is here. And before they know it, they've, they began to sink into this deep sleep because there's just, there's just something else going on that they can't seem to get the energy from God that everybody else has. It's keeping them awake late up into the night. You've fallen asleep. Because if you think about it, once again, kind of touched on this earlier, when, you, when it's finals week, you're exhausted because you're focused too much on getting stuff done instead of being truly energized. There may be some of you here who have fallen asleep spiritually because your life has gotten a lot more focused on something else. And there's, there's all sorts of examples for this that maybe might summarize where you're at. Maybe it's just that season, and for whatever reason, you just feel spiritually dry. Or maybe you have way too much focus on that relationship and they are your world, and your energy, and your security, and your entire life is based around this other person in the direction where you're going to go. So much so that every single decision you make can't be just decided without taking into consideration what they're going to do. And you begin to fall asleep to what more there is to life than just this one relationship. I'm not saying relationships are bad. I'm not saying that. But they are when they begin to replace the true energy that is found in God. Maybe, maybe you're a, a faculty member here, and your focus is to administer the university, to teach a class, lead a department, whatever it is. Maybe you can honestly say that your job has become a lot more centered on this university instead of Jesus. You know, where you spend a lot of time making sure everything's running great when really you slowly begin to fall asleep to the fact that this is a Christ-centered university and that God has it all together. 
And you don't need to focus so hard on that. You, you don't need to be stressed out because of that. And also, to be entirely honest, maybe, maybe you go party on the weekends. Maybe you go and you get drunk. And that's your way of getting energy. And, and you say that it's your way of, you know, being energized and having fun. But really, it's just a way for you just to kind of numb the brokenness inside of you. And you've fallen asleep. You're just beginning to drift out of that window. Or maybe life couldn't be better. You're engaged. You have all the greatest friends in the world. Your grades are great. You have everything lined up for the rest of your life. You know exactly what's going on. But yet you are coasting on the goodness that life's bringing you instead of soaring on the energy that God gives you. What's crazy is that we fall asleep, even in this place, when the word of God is preached right in front of us every single day. Not just here, not just on Sundays, but in our dorms and our conversations and the people around us. I hear a lot of talk sometimes about how a revival is coming to this campus. Where the best is yet to come. I got overly excited about that last semester. Maybe you might remember that. Um, and that our verse of the year is that there is a living hope here. And that we are excited for God to wake us up. I have to ask the question. Do we really want it? Or are we just content with being asleep? Are we content with being comfortable right where we are and... Are we content with not functioning properly because we don't have the energy we truly need to function in the way that we're designed to? Of course, don't get me wrong. There, there, there are a lot of us here who truly do want to be here. You can even say since being here in your freshman year, you have, you have grown so much. And things could not be better because of what God's doing in this place and maybe you even went to Summit last week and you woke up for the first time in who knows how long. And God is doing a huge work in you. Praise God for that. But there are also a number of us here who don't want to be here. Maybe it's because of academic scholarships and athletic scholarships or the, the money package that this was the best option. Or maybe their parents weren't going to pay for their education unless they came to a Christian university. Or even maybe their parents work here and they, this was the only place they could go because it was a free ride. And they had to come to a place that didn't line up with what they profess, what they believe. And they find themselves stuck because they hate feeling like religion is constantly being forced down their throat. And if I can be entirely honest, if I were in your position, I'd feel the exact same way. <laughs> I would hate coming to a place where it just... I, my, my beliefs are constantly attacked. I would hate feeling like I get all these judgmental looks and conversations because I just try to be me, 
and I try to talk about what I believe in, and just because those beliefs don't line up with what the university says, I would, I'd hate those judgmental comments. And I would vent, and I would seek other ways, and you know, I would use, I'd use Yik Yak as my way to get my voice out, because no one else would want to hear it. Right? And I would sit here and wonder, why can't the Christians of this university love me with the love of their God for who I am instead of judge me? And if we as Christians are judging people on this campus, maybe we're not as awake as we think we are. Because, and this is a generalization, a generalization of what I'm about to say. This doesn't apply to everybody, okay? But there is, what I've come to notice is that there's two sides to our campus, okay? Over here you have, you have side one. And these are generally considered the spiritual people. Those who have some kind of a love for God or who enjoy worshiping God and have that, that, that closeness with him and are seeking him to a degree and who enjoy that. But then the other side of campus is those who aren't so much into the spirituality thing. Maybe they just have a lot of questions. Maybe they could consider themselves agnostic or atheistic. That's, that is possible. And, or maybe just a completely different belief system, right? And what happens is each side doesn't really want to acknowledge the other. These people over here are discouraged because, you know, they look at them and they're like— this is a Christian university. You're just going to discourage me. Just go do your thing, and you're content with staying here with the energized community. But then these people over here, because of those beliefs, they can't help but wonder, man, they're just so judgmental. They want nothing to do with me. And there creates this divide that happens. And then there are those people on this campus who truly are committed to loving each other regardless of what they believe in, and they try to stay in the middle. But because this side was maybe hurt by one or two people of something they said, it's hard to truly believe that there are good people here. And I gotta say that neither side is correct. Because what we're called to do by our God is to love every single person regardless of what they believe and not to show hatred. You know, Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King even said, hate doesn't drive out hate. Only love can do that. And if we are in this place where we can honestly say that we don't love other people, even those who don't believe in what we believe in, we need a wake-up call. We need a wake-up call. But I know that we serve a God who is constantly making things new. As Taylor was saying earlier, this is something that he initiates. He is continually having this desire to seek us out and to make us new. It's been that way since the creation of humanity. He is seeking to redeem us, to awaken us, and to give us an energy that we have never had before. Check out what happens next in this story, beginning in verse 10 says this, Paul went down 
and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Like, so much happens here in just these three short verses. Paul stops everything he was doing and rushes down to this man and literally, like, puts him in a bear hug. He lays on top of him. He wraps his arms around him. And that was a symbolized act for the closeness between the Holy Spirit who is healing and the boy who is being healed. That the Holy Spirit was here and trying to, and who was waking up this man even though he was dead. There was nothing this kid did to deserve it. He fell out of a window because he wasn't paying attention to what Paul was saying. But the Holy, the Holy Spirit was still willing to heal him. And get this, what happens after the man wakes up? They go eat. They go eat. They go back into that close-knit community, and they eat, and they have that fellowship because they are so pumped for what God just did to this man who apparently was distant from their community but was brought back to life. And Paul was so energized by what was going on that he preached until daylight that following day. And lives were changed because this man who was once asleep now awakened. And the rest of the community was even more energized and was even more united because of what God did in that person. Can you imagine what happened to our university if God woke us up? If God woke us up, You know, I dream that this place can be a place filled with so much love for even people who don't believe in what we believe in, that we, like, those who may not even be Christians want to be here because there is an energy and there is a a love for them that they have never experienced before. I dream that this can be a place where you are not afraid to come to people broken and to seek that close-knit community and be encouraged and for God to constantly be working in you and to awaken you and to break you from those addictions and from those problems and that just lackadaisical Christianity that you may find yourself in right now. I believe that we can, that we can fall in love with the local church again and that we can wake up on Sunday mornings and go to church because he's the one who gives us energy. That we can have a love for Marion in a way that has never existed. Or even when we take late Taco Bell runs at 2 o'clock in the morning, we can still be happy to see the cashier and tell him that we appreciate him. Not only that, I believe God wants to wake you up. Because he has the best in store for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says this, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, 
we may live together in him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Christ died, guys, so that we don't have to keep living like we're asleep, where we're propped up in this windowsill because we just don't feel a part of the community. And, and our distance from that community is what's actually leading to us dying. But what I believe can happen here, this is truly my prayer, is that regardless of whether we can be considered asleep for whatever reason, or whether we can call ourselves awake, that we can come together to encourage one another, support one another, to help each other wake up, as Paul says. Last week, I went to go see the movie Selma. If you haven't seen it, it's a, uh, it's a movie about Martin Luther King Jr. and the CCLS movement as they uh, promoted civil rights in Selma, Alabama. You know, and, and I always read about the civil rights movement in history classes in high school, and, you know, I always knew it was a very pivotal moment in our history and that people were beaten, and that Dr. King was stressed beyond all belief, but never before had I left a movie so broken at the injustice that still exists in this world. Where, as I, I didn't just read about there being hatred towards people of just a different race, but you could literally feel the hatred that were in the police officers of Selma, Alabama, as they wrapped barbed wire around bats to beat down these people who just wanted the right to vote. And ribs were broken, and people were killed because of this. And Dr. King, you could, you could feel the tension in his life and the hopelessness that he had during this movement that he wanted to see take fruition and how it played into the life of his family and his marriage and how everything was crashing down. But this man was still dedicated to seeing what happened in his world. As I walked out of the movie, I couldn't help but ask myself, where's my passion? Where's my passion? What am I doing to make a difference in this world? Have I fallen so asleep by the comfort that's found here at Indiana Wesleyan University that I forget about what happens in the rest of this world? Even here in Marion, Indiana? Do I even care about that? You know, and I'm studying to be a Christian ministries major and, and be a pastor and all these other things, yeah, but do I truly have a desire to see people come to know him, for people to be liberated? What am I doing? What am I doing? And it was after that movie that God woke me up to realize I have a whole lot of passion, but not a lot of zeal. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't know what my next steps are. I know that's how I need to be awakened. 
How do you need to be woken up? How do you need to be woken up? Is it reconciling a relationship? Is it trying to restore uh, maybe your relationship with your parents? Or so much bitterness is found inside of you because of something that they've done? Is it breaking free from an addiction? Is it no longer being so focused on the image that you have? Maybe just your spiritual dryness. How do you need to be woken up? What we're going to do is we're going to provide an opportunity for you to move away from your windowsill. Maybe this whole time there's been this tug in your heart or this tapping in your mind that it's, it's time for things to be different. And so my challenge during this next song is if you just have it put on your heart that you need to be awakened for whatever reason that may be, I want you to stand up and just come to the front as your way of saying, I'm moving away from my windowsill, and I'm coming to the one who truly gives me energy. And for those of you who can honestly say that you are awake and you are a part of this energized community, as Paul says, we need to be awake. Those who are awake and asleep need to come together and encourage one another because of what Christ did for the church. So maybe as you see people come down here, you just simply need to come down here and support them, encourage them, pray with them. Maybe you just want to bring a group of your friends down here and you guys need to pray together. Or maybe you just get a group of strangers and pray and just worship and seek God out. I don't, I don't know. How are things going to be different after today? How are you going to be awoken? Time is yours.